Thanks for coming out early today for this session on the new demographic reality and its impacts. Um, this is going to be a fast-paced session today where we give you some very actionable details on how the demographics of this nation and this world are changing at a rapid pace. But more importantly, we're gonna show you how to make money during this period, how to really maximize the benefit of demographic change for your organizations and for you as individuals. My name is Bradley Sherman. I'm the author of The Super Age, Decoding Our Demographic Destiny. I'm also the founder of an organization called The Super Age, which is a strategic foresight and inclusive design group that helps businesses around the world understand demographic change and gives them actionable steps on what to do with it. Everything from employment practices to building environments that work for more people. And this is my colleague, Frank Lehausen. Good morning, my name is Frank, I'm from Germany. I'm started working with aging in the last century with Deutsche Bank and since 2000 we run a consulting company in Germany focusing on the impact of aging for companies, for societies and also for public service. Uh, throughout today, if you'd like to get the book, it's in the bookstore, uh, not to make a sell. You can also get it through here, but we have a treat for you. Today is gonna to be filled with a couple quizzes to test your demographic IQ for this new era. Those people that get the answer right, the first person will get a free copy of the book today. Okay, for the first question, you ready? It's an easy one. So, which country has the largest percentage of people over 65? Raise your hand. Oh, there's a young man here. Oh, uh, we have got experts in the room. First one out. Okay, let's see, number two. Which one, which country has the largest percentage of people under the age of 18 in the world? Nope. Nigeria? Close. Close, last, last try. No? Close without going over, it's Niger. Niger has half of its population under the age of 18. All right, last question. Which year does the UN predict that global population will decline? We're doing price of right, prices right rules. Close without going over. Hands up, young man. Anyone else? Was that in the back? 2050 is closest. 2086 is the year the UN predicts. Although we do believe that it might be sooner thanks to COVID, thanks to dramatic drops in birth rates, and thanks to the war in Ukraine. For all of you who didn't run a book so far, we have good news, we have two more questions during the session, so stay <laughs> at the very end, you might get one. Up to you. So a little bit of history first, because we have to understand the future by looking into the past. People think that demographic change is something that's new. It's not. Demographic change, believe it or not, parallels climate change and will have the same level of impact on our civilization. It started during the first industrial revolution. And since then, birth rates have almost continuously dropped over the past 250 years or so. With the exception of that little bump there, that's the baby boom. Countries now have varying birth rates, but in every country, the birth rate is dropping. Niger, every woman can expect to have nearly seven children. Wow. The United States, we're at 1.78. To keep a stable population, you need 2.1. That keeps the population even. Germany is slightly lower, but the lowest in the world, Korea. 0.78 children per woman. 
This means that Korea's population is literally changing in front of our eyes. It's like nothing else we've ever seen. At the same time over this period, we've seen an increase in global life expectancy. In fact, in the last 100 years, average life expectancy has roughly doubled from about 35, which is the historic norm for life expectancy, to nearly 70 worldwide. This is the pinnacle of human achievement. But what we didn't do is modify our systems, modify our attitudes, modify our, the way we do business to account for this new longevity. Today, the nation of Monaco, average life expectancy now of 87. In, the, in Germany, they're beating out the United States, nearly 82. The United States is about 79 right now. It went down a few years because of COVID, also because of addiction and what we call diseases of despair, alcoholism and suicide. Lowest life expectancy in the world is Chad at 53 years. Shocking. But believe it or not, demographics are not evenly distributed. So when you look at a nation, be very careful about how you're doing the analysis. Because believe it or not, there are parts of this country where the life expectancy is as low as 56. In fact, if you go on to almost any reservation in the United States where the indigenous population lives, you'll find average life expectancies below 60, which is just shocking. What does this mean for us? There's a shifting age structure in our countries, in our societies. We're starting to see tightening labor markets because there's this inverse relationship. During COVID, in the United States, an excess of three million people, mostly older adults, left the workforce. There are only so many Gen Z that will enter. Gen Z is a relatively small generation in comparison to the whole. This will put incredible pressure on social welfare systems. I'm sure you've all heard about the Social Security Trust being under threat in the next 10 years. This is not a joke. Social Security doesn't go away in 10 years, but benefits start paying smaller and smaller every year out. If you don't fix this or make some adjustments to it, it can actually create a drag on the overall economy. Right now, this tightening labor force and these social welfare programs are actually pushing up inflation. They're a contributing force to this. Consumer targets are changing. We're not going after 18 to 34 anymore. They're no longer the group that we absolutely need to make our companies work. We really need to be looking at older populations, particularly those 50 to 65, and even those upwards to 74, which is largely dependent on whether or not you're working or not. We're also starting to see depopulating regions. Believe it or not, there are entire nations that are losing their population. But to give a sense of the United States, this is the map that just shows how different aging is across the country. The darkest spots here, mostly rural, they have median ages of around 50 years old, meaning half of the population is above 50, half of the population is below. Nationwide in the United States, the median population is 38.8. So in some places, it is really, really old, and there are literally no children. It looks like more like Japan than what we think of as the United States as a growing country. Germany is a bit different, if you can see on the right side. Of course, we have to zoom in into Germany from the land size here. So if we wouldn't, you couldn't see anything because we are so tiny country. Um, all the dark um, countries you see, so the more mature population is the former Eastern Bloc. 
So after the wall went down, a lot of people then moved to the western part of Germany. And we were aware of it 30 years ago that that will happen. But we didn't very less to do so. So that's a big point if you talk about policy making. So uh, aging is a slow moving topic. And a lot of politicians and policyholders say, oh, come on, we do it next year, we do it next year. And out of the sudden, we have such a disparity. And that is really crucial because also the oldest city of Germany is the former Karl Marx Stadt, Chemnitz. So if you look at aging in Germany, you have to look at the East and you see how the West will look in 15 years. Back to you. So let's talk about depopulation for a moment. This is the strip in Las Vegas. The country of Japan lost a population roughly the size of Las Vegas last year. Japan has been depopulating now for over a decade. I see some jaws dropped on the floor already. <laughs> um, Japan, surprisingly, has made enough modifications that they haven't lost their pole position in terms of global GDP because they're making adjustments slowly but surely. But the reality is Japan is now an old society. They're having very few babies. There are the occasional good stories of small cities or small regions where birth rates have increased. But on the whole, Japan is old. And Japan is pivoting entire industries to consider the older population. And now, it may seem like an over-the-top example, but it was about five to 10 years ago, Japan shifted from making production of baby diapers to adult incontinence products as the primary products that they were making. That's how few babies there are. That's how many older adults there are. This is San Francisco. China lost a population the size of San Francisco last year, 815,000 people. China's really bad at data, like really, really bad at data. It's probably five times that. Add in the COVID deaths from this year, we might be talking about losing a city the size of New York. Imagine wiping that out of our economy here. It would be disastrous. Austin, Texas. Russia last year lost a population the size of Austin, Texas. Due to outward migration because of the war, sending men into battle into the meat grinder of eastern Ukraine, COVID deaths. They are one of the few countries in the world that is actually in what we call a demographic spiral, meaning it doesn't look like they can pull themselves out of it. Not only are their birth rates at historic lows, they're also starting to see a reversal of their longevity. Now, their longevity now hovers around 69 years at birth now, which is really, really quite low. So let's go a bit deeper into the future of work, and the future of work is the next chance to win a book. So we have one question. How many generations are in today's workforce? Over there? Four? Last, last guess. One more. Yeah, five. Five, here we go. Five generations. And, and just out of curiosity, does anybody know the number one thing they want after health care and salary? Flexibility is the number one thing that they want. So for HR managers in particular, they have to pay attention to this reality. Because if you build a workforce, you have to consider the needs of everyone because you need everyone working in this future dynamic. 
And this really highlights just how dramatic the change is. We have been in a period what we call now the great resignation. Every month, every, every job period, uh, about four million people turn over in employment in this country. Just nothing like it. We've never experienced anything quite like it. We've been at this for about 18 months now. There are 11 million open jobs in the United States right now that we just can't fill. HR managers in particular are struggling with this. Why are they struggling? Because for decades, they got drunk off of cheap and readily available labor. Boomers, millennials, a swelling global population that went from about two billion people to eight billion people in just 100 years. We've always had access to this labor. It's going away, so new strategies have to be employed. Germany, which is of course a much smaller country, has a much more dramatic. It's even worse if you see you've got a 340 million population, we've got 80. We have two million seats left in our offices. So within the next uh, 10 years, a third, a third of the working class will retire. So it's really a big issue with us. If you look at public um, authorities, if you look at the finance sector, they will lose hundreds of thousands of people in the next few years. And there's no strategy for companies how to deal with it. And that is really a big challenge. And uh, yeah, we will see how that works out. Yeah, and the number one threat here is that people out of work means that the economy becomes inefficient. So everything starts grinding to a halt. This isn't just an isolated case of I can't find somebody to flip a burger. This is debt ceiling. This is debt rating for countries that can be affected by this. The ability to borrow, the ability to build roads, schools, hospitals, all of that comes into play. So during this period of demographic transition, this disruptive demographic period of the super age, where at least one out of five people will be over the age of 65, we have to pay attention to what we call the demographic dividend, meaning that people are living longer, rule one, but a lot of people are living healthier lives too. So they should be working, in theory, past the traditional retirement age of 65. This is obviously not applicable to everyone, so don't at me for this. There are people who get sick at 55. There are people who are running marathons at 85. This is really a case-by-case -case basis. But if you're able, you should be at the table. I'd like to make some, um, some edit. If you might know Germany is the land of the engineers. We're missing over 100,000 engineers right now. So that has a big impact of GDP and the innovation power of our country. So we're very scared that we lose the number of patents and the part in innovative technologies due to that. Now, this is the shift in the US labor force over the next uh, 10 years, from 2023 to 2033. 16 to 64, traditional working age population will only grow by 2.31%. Meanwhile, the 65 plus population will go by an astonishing 23%, almost 24%. What's not shown on this slide, is the 16 to 24s. That's the kindling for the economy historically. That's where we get the robust, relatively affordable labor. That's where we mentor students into adulthood. That's actually shrinking by 0.5% over the next decade. So we're starting to see this erosion of younger workers. The only way to fix it is to look up. And I put it like this. 
In this period of disruptive demographics, it's like we're in a plane. The plane's flying across the Andes. We have two options, jump with a parachute or jump without. What are you gonna choose? I'm gonna choose the parachute. The parachute in this case is engaging older people for longer periods of time. In fact, engaging all of us for longer periods of time, not just the old. We have to rethink the way that we approach life and the way we approach the traditional model of living and growing into our older years. The historic model, educate, employ, retire, die. Doesn't work anymore. If we educate people until 20 and they're working until 80, that means there are 60 years where they're not receiving proper upskilling, proper education. So key investments need to be made both by nations, but also businesses. People are no longer disposable assets. They're hard assets. They're machinery that we need to keep healthy. We need to keep up to date. We need to keep functioning. Because if we don't do this, things start to fall apart. We start to become more and more inefficient. True, and don't be fooled. If you, if you look at the picture, what do you see? I see a skilled, motivated, part-time worker. We have to be very keen how to present people, and as you see here, the stereotypes are problematic within the company, within your corporate country, but also within the country. And um, we know it as ageism, and it's really something for us, I think you could agree on that, is the only discrimination which is socially accepted. So if I would make a joke in my company about a woman, or maybe a person of color, I would be screwed. But if I do a little comment about my older colleague, everybody is, hmm, yeah, funny. And that's not okay. And that's not an environment where you keep people working. That's another reason why they leave, because they get not respected. And you see we have an increasing uh, labor force participation in the higher ranks. And especially what's interesting for me from a German perspective, we have the highest number on working retirees, and we call it now the gray gold. Interesting thing is, as you don't know, we have a, go, a pay as you go pension system in Germany. So each and everybody can make a living out of the pension system. There is no need to work for money. If you want to have a better life, of course. But the biggest reason for this people to go back to work is to have a purpose in later life. Imagine you have seven days a week off, 20 years. Nobody calls you and asks you. So just today I got a text from Germany that we have a new center of depression due to retirement open up uh, Bavaria. So, and that is something we also have to think about it. What do we do with this million of skilled, retired engineers, doctors, teachers? Is there any company looking for them? Is there public service looking for them? Where's the strategy to pick on these talents? Um, that's very important for us in Germany, and we have a very outstanding company, Bosch, you might know them, it's an auto part company, and they have a um, special retired service division, so it's a for-profit entity within the Bosch Group Limited, and everybody who leaves Bosch has a chance to become a freelancer within the Bosch Expert Service. So they have 1,500 retired engineers and other people who work part-time within Bosch, if sick leave happens or whatever, and they do 65,000 mandates of consulting within the Bosch Group with their own retired staff, people they invested for decades, 
and they get the gray gold. So I run another startup and we created, uh, by the name of H-Force One, and we created a tool to make people aware of what changed. What you see in Germany, only less than a quarter of the people who face in retirement planet. The first thought is how many money have I? And then they go, what uh, the researchers say, in a honeymoon of retirement. So after 10 months, maybe, nobody calls you. You get the nerves on your wife. You get some trouble in your relationship. And what do you do? Start drinking, playing golf, whatever. So what we really uh, enforce is that companies create an, out an off-boarding strategy. Just ask, Brad, you leave our company. You're open to work for us? Because if you don't ask, you might get the intention. They don't ask me, I don't want to go back, they don't want me. So there's a lot of empathy, a lot of communication. This is what we offer with this tool. But this is something we have to be very careful of here domestically in the US for everyone who's from the United States in this, because you run a very fine line between being helpful to your employee and actually violating the Age Discrimination and Employment Act. So if you're asking these questions, do so in an altruistic manner. You want to extend the working lives. Because if you did uh, what Apple's been accused of in the past year, of asking an employee what, when his retirement plan was for succession planning and then not giving him bonuses, you're gonna get in trouble with the law. Okay, good learning. But interesting because when we talk about demographic change, everybody thinks about the aging of the population. We have got a different situation, maybe not a different, but a special situation as here in the US. Gen Alpha, very small population with very young kids. So now companies start recruiting already um, internships or trainingships within our high schools on a totally legal level, but they discovered that employer branding now starts at school because all the big brands run at the university, but if you can make a connection with a very young person and get it in your company, you maybe got your next employer. So they deal with, uh, uh, by the legal way, young men and women 15 to 18, and they get run over. This is a startup where I am in the board, and they exploded. So the founders are two 19-year-old ladies, and they stopped studying because this business goes through the roof. All our retail chains, our Whole Foods, begging them for more support in their stores. And the interesting thing for me is when, they, when I mentor the two ladies with their 19s, I, I ask about how you're recruiting, tech, um, recruiting tactics, and they say, of course, it's TikTok. And to be honest, I don't use TikTok, so I ask the founder, 19 years ladies, what's your strategy about TikTok? What are you doing? They say, we don't do it. We hired our little sisters. They are 14. They are our social media manager. We are too old for it. So you see how fast the world is changing and nobody has a clue. So what do we need? We need flexibility in hours and work time, where to work, when to work. Sounds a bit like Gen Z, right? We have to uh, caregiving leave. So maternal leave is quite normal. In Germany, you have the uh, legal right to leave your job paid if you become a family caregiver. Uh, Parental pause. For me, it's a total overlooked topic. If you look at the female workforce, the baby boomers, so many are facing the challenges of menopause. And what does the boss saying? Ah, you're not sick, you're just a bit creepy. So for me, it's one of the most overlooked things in aging. And if I may, Frank, you know, just with the perimenopausal piece in particular, this is an effort that's really being led by the United Kingdom right now. 
the United Kingdom as a country has identified the loss of women in the workforce aged 40 to 60 as one of the single greatest threats to their economy. Okay? One of the single greatest threats to their economy. That's demographic change for you right there. So you're starting to see major employers in the United Kingdom, everything from Channel 4 to Weight Watchers, businesses that have a high proportion of female workers implementing things that we, you know, when you take a look at today, you say, oh my God, why didn't we think of that before? You know, the basics of making sure that managers are trained to identify um, a woman who is experiencing perimenopausal symptoms. So you don't assume the person's hysteric. You assume yeah. the person is, might be having uh, a hot flash. In addition to the hot flashes, guess what they're putting into these, these businesses now? Cooling rooms. So in addition to lactation stations for young mothers, cooling rooms for women who are experiencing hot flashes are becoming normalized. This is revolutionary stuff, guys. But this is what's happening because the competition for talent, not just domestically but worldwide, is really exploding right now. Really, really exploding. And it's all because of demographics. There's a new term out there, the gray sidelining. So in HR, you, got, you know the glass ceiling where you can make your career up. Now you've got the gray sidelining. So you put people out of the team to the sideline. And how do companies do that? They don't train them anymore. Oh, Brad is 56. Should he get the next training for the next software? I don't know. He's so old. I don't think so. And they don't can participate in new innovative teams and projects. Look at the innovation department. Young people developing for an aging market. Stupid. And this is something we really need to know. And for me, lifelong learning is a lot of motivation. So in later life, one thing you, when you learn, you invest things and you're motivated. Why do I learn? And now as people live longer and can contribute longer, lifelong learning, it's a real thing. It's not a salary, it's life. And of course, mutual mentorship, reverse mentorship. I think there's so much wisdom. A lot of what we talk about with companies is wisdom management, knowledge management. So out of the sudden, 100, 200 engineers leave. How could this happen overnight? Nobody knows. But now we lose all the knowledge. And we have a research pro project in Germany. They use AI to scan how um, productive line workers work and how they move to see if they have really um, incredented knowledge that they can explain how they do specific things. And that's really crazy that you not ask them to extend their work life, so just scan them and see what they do. It's really touching the symptoms and not the, the reasons. So, you know, we, we, we leverage um, strategic foresight in order to help businesses understand what's coming. And strategic foresight, in a nutshell, is taking a lot of data, birth rates, death rates, labor participation rates, basically everything you can possibly measure, overlaying it with emerging trends, tastes, and technologies. But most importantly, and the one thing that's often left out of the equation, is historical examples. Because past behaviors are sometimes the best prediction of future behaviors. So, 1950 America, following the uh, Second World War, the labor force participation rate for older workers, people over the age of 65, was nearly 50%. It's likely that before 1939, when we started capturing these numbers, before Social Security became law, it was upwards of 70 or even 80%. The historic norm is to work. 
people tend to like to work. Work tends to keep people healthy, physically, mentally, socially. By 1990, because of ageist beliefs and because of social welfare programs and very generous pensions, the labor force participation rate in this country dropped to one out of eight, over 65. One out of eight, 15%. If you're not working, you are very easily othered. Hmm. So ageism really exploded during this period, really exploded. The term greedy geezer came into the lexicon as people who just leached off of society. That's not the historical norm for 65 plus. So next book, final book, so be quick. Which demographic spends the most on Apple? <laughs> oh, well, what can Close we do? enough. 100%. <laughs> it is actually men over the age of 65 purchase the most Apple products of any demographic group in the world. All consumers over the age of 65 actually purchase the most iPads. They are the single biggest buyer of iPads. So if you're in Mark and research, here's your potential customer on the very first line. Talk to her. <laughs> so again, going back to the shift in the population that's happening now, 18 to 34, that group that we really want to get to all the time, we're trained to go after the MTV generation. They're shrinking in the next 10 years. 65 to 84, a real sweet spot in terms of tapping, is growing by 20%. And if you really want to get into growth, go to 85 plus. Growing by a whopping 50% in 10 years. In 10 years. So you're looking at multiple different product lines here. And, and it's something that you have to pay attention to because guess what? The 50 plus market, which people talk about all the time, the biggest organizations, including ARP, tout the value of this demographic, it's a fundamentally flawed measure. Because who in their right mind would put a 50-year-old with a 100-year-old person? That would be the equivalent of putting a newborn with a 50-year-old person. Not alike in any way. In fact, the older we get, the more diverse our life experiences, the more diverse our economic situation, the more diverse our health outcomes. So 50 plus mistakes. Biggest mistake in 50 plus mistakes is 50 plus, as Bradley already mentioned. You can't put an endless bracket, and it doesn't matter if you say 50 plus, 65, uh, 60 plus, 65 plus. It's just an endless number where you mix up um, generations, and like you said, if you look at 50 plus, in June, Heidi Klum, Klum however you spell it in, in English, turns 50. And guess what? Last year she complained in her show that a designer showed a, a skirt for ladies below 50, and she said, so next year I can wear it, that's not cool. So we have a lot of iconic people turning 50 the next decade as the number starts, and that is the biggest mistake. If you address Heidi Klum and Cher in the same way, it doesn't make sense, right? 50, 80, 90, so you have to be more smarter. You have to, for me, if a company comes to us and they say we have a new strategy, 60 plus, and we discuss and say, oh, it's great. What's a 60 minus strategy? <laughs> they look, and I laugh, and they laugh, and then we start from scratch. But it's so easy, they are lazy. 
you know this 50 plus term since the private broadcasting started in America and the same was in Germany. At the beginning it was not relevant for this TV station to apply to 50 plus, so they were the 19 to 49 key group. And that's what is really, is really, I don't say the word, I'm, uh, I'm crazy about it since decades. 50 plus is still in the room since 1950 something. People are so lazy. So we think that there's a much more applying way. So forget about age. So if you leave us soon, please forget 50 plus. Be not lazy, be more creative, be more back to reality. And we talk about stages and life stage events and you walk us through. Yeah, and to further underscore that point, um, the older we get, the longer we live, the more diverse we are. Just remember that throughout all of this. It's the single biggest thread. So when I think about 50 plus is generally an attractive target group, a target group I love to, to serve, um, I ask first, are you working or are you retired? Two different realities. Then I ask, do you own a home or are you renting? Two different realities. Then I ask, are you married or are you single? Are you lesbian or straight? Do you have kids in the home, young children, or do you have adult children that might be out of the nest? Are you the primary caregiver to your own parents? A very important question these days. Do you have faith? Are you attached to a church or a religious institution? Do you have a strong belief structure? These people tend to live longer, by the way. Do you have a close group of friends, or really are you a solo actor? Do you live life on your own? Are you isolated? Do you like the old tech or the new tech? And are you physically active on a regular basis, or are you a couch potato? <laughs> All of these different questions allow us to get to a user group that helps us solve problems in a more holistic way. It helps us forces us to think differently about the end user and breaks us from this lazy habit of age segmentation later in life. Age segmentation earlier in life, I don't really argue against that. Kids roughly follow the same life course up until about 18. Obviously there are some variables that change their trajectories in this period. But like a tree, the longer it grows, the less it looks like the tree next to it. The same goes for human beings. So uh, I'd like to add on this from, from Bradley. It's also important for advertising and for communication. If you address somebody as a 60 plus, hmm, what does it mean? Do I feel like 60 plus, 60 plus? So normally you feel 10 years younger than your chronological age. So I'm 53, I maybe feel like 33, I don't know. But I wouldn't uh, respond to 50 plus. But if you design a communication and a product around, you become a grandpa, you become retiree, and then it clicks. Oh, yeah, grandpa, things change. Now I'm in charge of the next generation. In Germany, one of the most important, or was a very successful online training is a first aid response class for new grandmas and grandpas. Because if they take care of the little baby, a lot of fret to death if something happened. And so a smart guy, and a paramedic, created this training and people line up online to ensure they're attached in a role as a grandfather. It doesn't matter if the grandfather is 50 or 80, right? It doesn't matter. If you become a call tomorrow 
your father has a stroke, it doesn't matter if you're 20 or 60, your world turned upside down and you're not prepared. And you're open for advice if I address you as a family caregiver, easy as that. And that's something, what, what we like to point out with this screen, it doesn't matter. Age is not equal interest or ability, it's different. And in fact, it, believe it or not, there's actually new data out that suggests that it's actually 20% younger than your actual age, Ooh. starting at age 40. How many of you were at the, the, the New Order concert last night? Case in point, no one there felt their age, myself included. And I mean, it was amazing because we think of ourselves, our mental age is always younger than how we physically present. So if we're feeling that way about our own selves, how do you think other people are feeling exactly the same way? So deconstruct that bias internally so you can pull back on it when you're looking at user groups at the end of the day. Who of you, as I'm from Germany, knows the band Ramstein? Ramstein? He was a lead singer to Lindemann, the guy, turned 60 this year. So 60 plus, right? Next. Yeah. Okay. This is what I call the pickle jar paradox. Probably one of the more important things to take away today. This suit is called Agnes. Agnes was developed at MIT Age Lab in Massachusetts um, to help young students understand what it's like to be old. Guess what this suit does? It limits your physical abilities. It does nothing to address your cognitive abilities, your emotional capacity, your propensity to be creative or engage in new things. This is a fundamentally flawed approach. The pickle jar paradox, as I call it, I'm from Pittsburgh, home of Heinz ketchup and plenty of pickles. The pickle <coughs> jar paradox is simple. How many of you have ever struggled to get yourself into a pickle jar? Take the top off, it's hard. Why is it hard? The pickle jar was designed by 20-year-old men that were very strong and could pop off the pickle jar with no problem. That's why every adult person hands the pickle jar to their kid and says, help me out with this. <laughs> the pickle jar paradox applies to the way we innovate for older adults too. It is very essential that you take this away with you today. Because if you design for someone and not with them, you will fail. That's where we get big button phones. Nobody wants a big button phone. Nobody wants it. And that's where we ba get bad UX. Things like the, the, the display panel on a microwave. They just don't work. They've never worked for anyone. Solve with, not for. Yeah, true. So um, in Germany, since 2018, we run a startup award for startups who are thinking about older people and creating something. And over the last years, we had more than 350 applications, so we have a kind of a good database. And you could split the founder team in two types of teams. One did it by chance, because grandma need whatever, and the others are just professional business maker. So the professional business maker will look at demographics at 50 plus and say, oh, these old poor people, we do a big button phone. And the other people design with their family, and they come up with a very user creation, frugal innovation, but they're not businessmen, so they fail. And during this pitch session, the last over years, there was this team. So the young man on the left is a 64-year-old engineer, and he was afraid that her mom, 93, had to detach uh, the smoke detector at night when the stem thing goes off. 
So and he knows that she have go into the dark, jump into a chair to get this uh, smoke detector down. So they created a thing where you could use a stick of a broom to just put it next to the uh, smoke detector and bring it down. Simple. $5 solution saves life forever. But it wasn't constructed by data. It was just by observation. And we did a lot of research with our leading tech university in Aachen about open innovation with seniors. If you're in an innovation department, you have a lot of smart kids. And they think about mom and grandma. And with the best intentions, they create big button phones. But if you extend it, if you include this users at the very beginning of your innovation, you get a successful product or service because you, as Bradley said, work with them. You include them. And I'll tell you what, when we do these projects, people are so happy that somebody listened to them. They are overlooked. Nobody asks them. They have to go to the shop and take what the pickle jar industry gives them. And this is something we really like to highlight talk with seniors, work with seniors, and then you get so many insights, your innovation will totally flip around. And I know what you're thinking here. You're thinking, oh, seniors, retirees, that's where all of your minds went. I guarantee it. These are your employees. These are your workers. These are the people you should be hiring. And guess what? Time and time again, when businesses hire older workers, their hiring experience, they're building empathy within their enterprise without even knowing it. In fact, if you take a look at the German automobile makers, BMW, Porsche, Mercedes, each one of these companies saw a labor crisis coming over a decade ago. Each one of these companies modified their plants through inclusive design to extend the working lives of all employees by focusing on the eldest employee first. Because if you design with inclusion in mind, thinking about the person in the most need, everyone benefits. Everyone benefits at the end of the day. That's not hyperbole, that's the truth. So because of that, when you take a look at the cars BMW is producing, that Porsche is producing, and the innovations that are going into these vehicles, push button start, rear view cameras, those aren't for young drivers. Those were designed for older drivers. We all think of them as ubiquitous in vehicles now. That's because they've never told us about this. I'd like to add something. Yeah, please. Um, when we talk a lot with uh, innovation uh, companies or innovation uh, departments, when it comes to the topic of mature person, the first thing that clicks is usability. Fair enough. But don't go back to the big button phone. It's also likability. Everybody wants to be part of the uh, society. So if you pull up your big button telephone, everybody thinks, oh, this old man. <laughs> so nobody wants to use it. And we did a lot of testing, and likability goes to the end of the lifespan. Even with 80, you want to have a cool device, and this is why Apple is so successful in a way. Um, so it's really important that if you design, have a good UX, but let it look nice. And best case, you have a stealth product which works with everybody, so nobody is segregated or excluded due to his age. So we're really looking right now in this period of disruptive demographic change, which will last for at least the next 20 to 30 years that we know could be a lot longer. We need to move away from a virtuous, a, a vicious cycle in which we force people out of work 
at relatively young ages and encourage them to stay in the workforce for longer periods of time. This can be done through a myriad of approaches. Flexibility tends to be the number one thing that we believe will get us there. By extending working lives, we immediately see that people are financially better off, their financial well-being improves, but we also see improvements in mental, physical, and cognitive health by staying engaged in work. And that's largely because people stay socialized. Socialization is one of the key drivers uh, of longevity, especially healthy longevity. Isolation, removing yourself from work, removing yourself from society, is one of the key drivers of death and illness. Uh, it's just like smoking a pack of cigarettes a day. Why would you start that at 65? You wouldn't. Um, we also see that it extends life, but more importantly, and this is the part that's the golden goose here, not only for business but society, is that we create a whole new class of tax-paying citizens and a whole new group of active consumers. If you got it, you're gonna spend it. It's not going into some magic savings fund. If you're earning, you're spending. We have a question, maybe a final question, without a book, but just curious about yep. you. Uh, you can ask the question, I will get you a book, I promise that. Here we go. What is the average age of a new car buyer? Hands up. Huh? Close, 53. Yeah, this is a worldwide statistic. So you can imagine, we, we work a lot for uh, this company called Volkswagen. And it's a small company. Yeah, yeah, it's just, Germany is small. Um, <laughs> and at the end of the day, they, they came up that they have two key clients. Number one, fleet manager. All the guys buying 200, whatever, for the, for the company. Number two, people 50 to 60. And they didn't design a senior car. Or did you see a Volkswagen senior car doing, coming up the last two years? They work on usability, man-to-machine interface within a normal car. They just extended the outreach to the uh, um, R&D to a bit more older people, but different kind of drivers. But they, you don't need a senior car. You don't have to be an exclusive car, inclusive car, mm -hmm. and that's it. Yeah, it's all about choices. Um, but at the end of the day, we want to be shifting our minds away from what we believe people can't do and really focus on what they can. Um, by sidelining people because of prejudice or because of outdated beliefs, that puts us at risk of economic failure. That puts us at risk of cohesion, social cohesion falling apart. And these are our key takeaways for you today. First takeaway, it's not on the, on the list, but I like it to say too when we work with companies, if you start working in the field of aging, you work for your personal future. So if you don't do it and you have an ageist uh, culture in your com uh, um, company, if you're young and you get old in this company, it's not fun. So ageism is bad for business, any kind of business, period. Age is not a good measure of ability of interest, so skip the 50 plus, please. Um, it's a part of inclusion diversity. As I said, for me, it is the last accepted part of discrimination, and I, I'm afraid it will still stay for a while. What do you think? Will we have a quick shift on that? I think it's moving quickly. You do? Yeah. Okay, cool. Um, Inclusion stimulates innovation. That's proven also by research. If you have an age mix 
team to manage if you have more diverse people in your innovation uh, group and in research, it definitely helps and stimulates. And uh, maybe you could take the last point, the yeah. outperforming. I mean, inclusive businesses just perform better. Study after study has shown that businesses that are hyper diverse and are well managed outperform those that are not by upwards of 30%. That's a lot of cash left on the table to be ageist, to not consider inclusive design, not consider a hiring and retention strategy that looks past that traditional retirement age. In fact, when older workers stay at work, I'm not saying every older worker is great, they're just like the rest of us, there are some winners and losers, but typically when older workers stay in work, you also get this thing called a spillover effect. They have historical knowledge and can tell you when things have maybe failed in the past and what they learn from those failures. Guess what? That contributes to productivity too. So this is a win-win for the new era for us. Businesses that lean into it, businesses that are cognizant of the change, they're going to be the winners. They're going to take the prize at the end of the day. Those businesses that are not will fail, period. Those countries that cannot adopt practices around their pension and medical provisions, they're probably also going to slow too. And remember, when I said, you know, demographics aren't delivered evenly across this world, most of the conversation that we've shared with you today is about the West. It's about mm. the United States, Canada, Latin America, Europe, and East Asia, Korea, Japan, Singapore. Virtually all population growth for the foreseeable future is going to happen in sub-Saharan Africa and across the global middle, into the Middle East, Pakistan, Afghanistan. That's where growth happens. So. Make the change today, be the change you want, be the change you want to see. We can get there. And on that, uh, we're going to take some questions. If you want access to the presentation, we've also recorded this for you today. It will be available here at the superage.com slash South by Southwest, XSW. Um, and you can download both there. Just bring your mic. Test. Okay. Test. Here you go. Thank you very much. Good morning. Oh, whoop. Okay. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, please bear with me. English is not my native language. Appreciate um, it. I'm from Costa Rica with a similar um, behavior and how the population is, uh, is doing due to uh, health care and whatnot. So we're, um, we're aging. Yep. Um, and I came in, I came here with a with a mandate, because I, what I do, I work in design in, in travel uh, for a, a, a large uh, uh, travel company, and I came with a mandate, okay, you need to design for 50 plus, and, and <laughs> yeah. uh, I'm lucky I came because I understand it better now, but, but this, is, this is the problem that I'm now faced with. Do you rent or own? Do you, uh, mm -hmm. uh, what's your sexual orientation? Are, and this is, this can be a very granular, uh, 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 different types. So it can lead to a, a large 
catalog of designing. Yeah. So any advice on that? Let me give you an idea of how we do inclusive design within our practice. So we do built environment. That's We do built environment, we do HR. Within built environment, we take a look through the lens of, and I think this probably applies to travel in particular, we take a look through the lens of acquired disability. So most regulatory frameworks are built around disabilities that you're born with or specific devices. Are you using a wheelchair? Are you deaf? Are you blind? That's typically how the regulatory environment is designed. That really only benefits about 5 to 10% of people who are disabled. The vast majority of people who are disabled or have some disability um, are people who are traveling. So considering looking at things like mobility, can space work better for people who might be using a walker or have a cane, maybe a slow gait? Um, is signage and user experience really driven in a way that is, that is designed more inclusively? Are spaces, can you hear within spaces? Can you see? Um, what about people who might have cognitive decline? What about people that might have um, some neurodiversity issues? All of these pieces that can actually be put together um, to create an environment that is really more welcoming of a lot more people. Because 5 to 10% of people who are disabled, you know, that's max 6 million people of the total disabled population in this country. That means you're leaving 50 million people behind. So I can tell you more offline. I can give you some more information about it. But that's how we approach it. And we work with Fortune 500s to make sure that their retail environments are, are really designed better um, for this well, for I this like, demographic. I'd like to add, you, you might need uh, also to double check, do you have already a population travel to Costa Rica in this age group? Have you any uh, data on that? And also think, think about not only on products, also on services. So we work for a company building planes, and at the end of the day, what's the innovation was needed by, by seniors was a better communication where the gate changes. Flight is okay, but to come to the jets, that was mm -hmm. a problem. I saw a hand up here. Yeah, and that, and that sir, that also goes to you know, just broadly, you know, what is the total user experience on the ground? And the way you get there is you bring in people who might be in most need to walk through the user experience on the ground. You co-create from the beginning. Yeah. So we can put segmentation aside for a moment because you're talking about user experience, right? And travel is a unique thing altogether. You want to make sure people can actually get to the destination first, can actually yeah. use the hotel rooms, can actually get on the tour buses. That's where you should start in terms of thinking, in my, from my opinion. Go ahead, sorry. Thank you so much. This is just a fact-checking, not yeah. that I leave this room yeah. with the <laughs> false information. But the new car buyer, is it a 53-year-old average. average? Is that only for Volkswagen or for all brands? Global data. Globally. Globally, mm -hmm. general cars, mm -hmm. Yeah, 53. The age actually goes up. Um, based on the luxury level of the yep. vehicle. Yep. So like a 7 Series BMW, I think it's closer to 70 years old. Porsche 911 is the same. Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 and let's be clear about this. Buyers are not stupid. You know, we, buyers are not stupid. So like, for example, my father had a stroke a few years ago, and he hates that I tell this story, so we'll have to take it off the tape. <laughs> when my father finished rehab, the first car he bought was a Porsche Macan. Yes. Whoa. You can imagine my horror. <laughs> Turns out the Porsche Macan was the safest car he could be driving at that point in time. It had drive assist, rear view cameras, there are airbags in every freaking corner of that vehicle. He knew that if he got into that car, he'd be safe. And he graduated from that to a Tesla 
because mm. the Tesla actually makes sure he doesn't get into the other lane. So like these are little things. People don't want to be othered. That's a very important takeaway. People don't want to be othered. And when we have acquired disability, we tend to want to hide it. Mm -hmm. So any way that people can hide it or mask it is, is, is uh, you know, it's important for them. Yeah. Lydia, we have. Agree with the uh, statement that people could continue working. I would have continued working. I'm a physician, but I was 24-7, and I didn't have that flexibility. The yeah. medical system wasn't good enough to my patients. I gave them my cell phone, but I got burned out. Yeah. Um, but look what's happening in France because they're trying to extend the age of work. Yeah. There are a lot of people who feel entitled. Hey, I've put my money in. I mm -hmm. want it. How do you deal with that? So we're going through a period of culture change right now. So I said that in um, we bottomed out in the 1990s where one out of you know, one out of eight people um, over 65 was out of work. We're back up to one out of five. Uh, to, sorry. Yeah, one out of five, uh, just over one out of five. We're approaching one out of four, 20, 25%. That's good news. The thing about the period is that it's happening so quickly, the disruption is happening so quickly that businesses have no choice but to adapt. So if you would have asked me pre-COVID, Brad, do you really think it's I can get flexible work into a fast food restaurant? I probably would have laughed at you. Hmm. Guess what? Chick-fil-A did it in Florida. Chick-fil-A has figured it out. They figured out how to do pod work, where people work a certain number of days for a certain number of hours. They're guaranteed off two weekends a month. And because of that, they have a 100% retention rate within this one Chick-fil-A. Now, can it scale? Who knows? Yeah. But emerging technologies tell us that physicians like yourself and emerging platforms, platforms that are being more accepted, telehealth in particular, which just exploded during COVID, are gonna allow for more flexible arrangements because you can be a doctor from your home. In Germany, they start rehiring MDs from retirement because we have a big gap on doctors, but they only work part-time or they work as a mentor, so hospitals or uh, employers have to rethink how to um, use uh, this more mature workers and what they can offer within the organization. This will be a big shift and the pain is real now. And I would say just to further emphasize the point, if you talk about different, different industries are obviously facing different pressures and they're facing different pressures in different parts of the country. Rural America, hospitals are closing at an astonishing rate yeah. in large part because they can't hire doctors. They can't yeah. get them there and the doctors that were there were already older on average than yep. doctors that are in big cities. We have time for one more question and then we'll take questions offline out back so we leave room for the next presenter. So you. So quick question. Um, basically, I, I think the trends you're talking about with demographics, it's gonna be maybe the pivotal trend that we face as societies across the world over the next few decades. Um, you already gave an example with uh, the, the growing gap in labor force participation rate we have. I don't think our society is properly understanding this problem today. I don't think we talk about this trend as the root cause for a lot of the things that we talk about. Um, how do we get our culture, our organizations, properly understanding these problems so that we can come up with the right solutions? Um, hardest question of the day. Thank you yep. for that. Yep. Um, culture change takes time. Okay, and that's just an unfortunate reality. And moving an entire society takes even longer. So culture change within organizations takes on average 
five, 10 years if you're lucky. To do societal culture change can be 30 to 50 years. I bet a little bit that a lot of um, um, shareholders age too. Yeah. So what we see with consulting, if we consult to a team which is led by a younger manager or an older, the older manager has much more impact and understanding and the feeling of it. So I think when Heidi Klum turns 50, Rammstein is 60, so maybe we will have a society which more understands. You're starting to see that there are major voices coming out now and saying that this is wrong. The way we've done work is wrong. The way we sidelined adults who are later in life is wrong. The more we hear about that, I mean, the Oscars are a perfect, perfect yep. case in point. Uh, last night, all three, all, all four best actor category winners were over the age of 50. Three were over 60. For women who face a different type of ageism, a different type of othering later in life, the average age for a female winner of an Oscar is 39. For men, it's 47. So these changes do happen, but they do take time. So it's public awareness. You know, you should be thankful for the big organizations that are out there every day, you know, knocking on people's heads. A lot of this is going to be driven, whether we like it or not, by the economy. Mm -hmm. So take a look at climate change. You know, apples, apples and oranges, but climate change and demographic change grew up together. The most disruptive effects of both are happening roughly during the same period, the last 20 years, and will happen presumably for the next 20 years without some type of major action. Um, businesses didn't take climate change seriously until it started affecting their bottom line. Mm -hmm. And, I, and I mean, I, I've attended Davos for a number of years. It wasn't until five or six years ago at the World Economic Forum that I actually started to hear businesses talk about climate change. Demographic change is just behind that. But I'll tell you, you know, if, you, if we think about globalization and how it impacts everything, China, a country that we know is in population decline now, has built an excess of 65 million homes. That means 65 million residences in China sit empty. That's enough housing to give every single person in France a place to live. If that real estate market collapses, it will make 2008 look like child's play. Sorry? It will make 2008, the subprime mortgage crisis in this country, which caused a global recession, look like child's play. It will be the COVID of economic crises. Mm -hmm. So there's an upside to all of this, but there's also a downside. And that's how when you're going through this and you're doing your own machinations for how it affects you as an individual, your families, but also your businesses and your societies, you have to think about the worst case scenario as well as the best. And just talk. Talk, you, you all have influence in your tiny circles. If you sit in your team and you hear some of your coworkers saying a bad joke about a senior coworker, point them and say, what do you mean? Why? What's wrong? It's, we can all do little things to go away from, away from ageism and stuff like that. We just start today. Thank you for Thank coming Thank you so out. much, everyone.